Sermons take a variety of forms, and they don't always have to be given by a pastor. There are a number of weeks at Knox when we invite our youth to come up and to reflect on their experience of faith. This morning, you're going to hear from several adult members of our church community, members of the Knox Session elders in our congregation. They're going to be talking to you about some conversations they've had as a session This weekend, when we remember the prophetic voice of Dr. King, we invite prophetic voices from among our own congregation to bear witness to important conversations they've been having. Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your truth and with the immediacy of your word. Open us to what you are saying. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The clerk of our session, Elder Jill Mormon, is this morning's first speaker. In this past year, the session has been doing some work on racism and racial relations. And on this Martin Luther King weekend, we would like to take some time to explain how we got started, what we're experiencing, and why we want you to join us on this journey. For those of you who are not familiar with what a session is, in Presbyterian churches, the session's a group of people elected to serve as the governing board. I serve as the clerk of the session, and my role is to help with the agenda, organization, and record keepings. So today, I'm going to share a little bit about what the session has been doing, and then several members of the session will share their reflections. Knox has a long history of engaging in activities promoting race relations and racial justice. But in recent years, those issues have not been at the forefront of our session work. However, this past year, several experiences have brought renewed attention to our need to be mindful of the roles that racism plays in our community. First, in December of 2018, the session agenda included a wish list activity where we developed a list of some items that would benefit our ministry and programs but wouldn't fit into our regular budget. Most of the items on the wish list were capital items. But when the time came to vote to prioritize the list, mission was at the top of the list by far. After some discussion, the session decided that there were three areas where we wanted to enhance our mission activities, namely creating a relationship with Cranston Presbyterian Church in New Richmond, where our David Nett serves as the pastor, Homelessness and affordable housing partnered with our commitment to the Interfaith Hospitality Network and the work of Third Presbyterian Church in East Westwood. In the last of those two mission areas, in the last two of those mission areas, part of what we need to do is to work to transcend racial boundaries and to help bring about racial justice. Then in March of 2019, several members of the session attended the next church national gathering in Seattle, 
You'll see information about this year's next church gathering, which is right here in Cincinnati, in your bulletin today, and Adam has talked about it a bit during his recent sermons. Those who went to that conference were deeply moved by the presentations on racism, and they encouraged us to do some learning on the subject. They presented some of what they learned and experienced to the session, and we quickly recognized that we had much to learn. Finally, our Presbyterian denomination launched, launched a new initiative in which they invited all congregations to become Matthew 25 churches. The Matthew 25 initiative is focusing on three areas, building church vitality, dismantling structural racism, and eradicating systemic poverty. Last spring, the session decided that the program seemed like a good fit for us so we voted to join the initiative. It was in conjunction with our wish list mission initiatives, the next church gatherings, and the Matthew 25 program that the session began its work on race relations and our faith community. We started by making a covenant that we would create a safe space, open to all opinions, willing to take risks, and committed to learning and growing together. In the months that followed, we engaged in a variety of learning experiences, some led by our pastors, but most led by members of the session. The activities have included readings, watching several short videos produced by Procter & Gamble, taking implicit bias surveys designed at Harvard, and participating in rich and open discussions about how we are called to be faithful Christians in a diverse world. Today we will hear from several members of the session who are part of the team leading our efforts to respond to racism, both historical and current. Good morning. I'm Susan Silver, and I have a firm policy of not addressing the congregation. As the granddaughter of a minister, the niece of a minister, the cousin of a minister, and the sister-in-law of a Jesuit priest, I'm terrified of letting down the side by uttering something unchurchly. Adam suggested we speak to you today from our hearts and that God would provide. God has provided my heart with thunderous palpitations. Can you hear them? Even my silent prayers on my own are of the early Anne Lamott variety. Help me, help me, help me, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Right this minute, I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of stuck on the help me, help me part. So why violate my policy today? Because it's time for me to change. Energy and hope overcome fear. If change is inevitable and to be alive is to change, why not accept the blessing and responsibility of guiding the change? For years, I believed racism was receding. If it had not disappeared, it was at least fading, mortally wounded, a vestige of a different time. Political and artistic events seemed to scream progress. I was smug about my strong belief in equality. I was part of the solution, right? But headlines about police shootings, homelessness, maternal and infant mortality, 
incendiary campaign rhetoric, incarceration rates, immigration, and hate crimes broke my reverie. And stories about white citizens summoning authorities because of the suspicious acts of people of color, barbecuing, swimming, entering their own property, for example, became a daily event. Family and friends, some of them here, spoke truth to my naivete, selfishness, and ignorance. They urged me to read and to listen and to learn because racism is not a simple reflection of attitude. It is a system ingrained in the DNA of our country. Far from extinguished, it is flourishing and threatening the very humanity of people in our community and beyond. To be offered the chance to learn as part of the Knox session, where I could be challenged and still feel safe from harsh judgment, was a brilliantly timed miracle. Knox members and friends, all of you, bring kind hearts, keen minds, energy, and resources to the fight for equality, crucial tools for taking a just and loving God's message to our neighborhoods and to the world. This is why we, and churches like ours, are called to have earnest conversations about racism. The process we have begun, acknowledging and describing systemic racism, is the first step toward dismantling it. And dismantling it is an imperative for all of us. I was inspired by last Sunday's prayer of confession. Here is an excerpt. Jesus would like us not to give up until justice is done. But we just don't seem to have the time. Forgive us, God of grace. Forgive us, indeed. It's time to make the time. It's time to not give up until justice is done. Let's get to work. I believe that churches like Knox should take action concerning racial relations and racial justice. Why are the topics of racial relations and racial equality important to me? Why am I invested? I had an awakening while living in a Nordic country for a number of years. I found myself outside the majority. I wasn't one of them. Subtle things kept me from moving ahead in life despite a newly minted master's degree. Perhaps my differences were not subtle to others. If one wasn't in the oil industry, there were very few white collar jobs for non-natives. The outsiders were allowed the shopkeeper, janitorial, service positions, regardless of education. It made the newspapers again and again about some doctor who had brown skin who was now a tobacconist because his foreign degree was not recognized. My wife Meg, who had been a nurse in the US for over 20 years, was told that she would have to go back to nursing school in order to practice her vocation. My eldest daughter, who has brown eyes and brown hair, was told by some daycare playmates that she was not pretty because she didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. What happens when one could be disabused of the idea that brown-haired children can hold hands with blonde-haired children as brothers and sisters? 
let alone brothers and sisters of different races. The world had a taste of rampant ideology of racial purity in the 20th century. Sadly, there are some who still harbor a taste for that. At what point is there any hope Dr. King's dream could ever be a reality? Racism, nationalism, and tribalism start as early as preschool. They are insidious and silently pervasive. They may be seen, unseen, unconsidered, not just in Europe or Scandinavia, not just in America, not in me. Maybe they are in me. Somebody please get me some Visine. I have to choke myself for planks. When I was a student, I had a roommate named Ponch who was a man of color. <clears throat> Though we got along fairly well, there was one time he called me a racist. I had not considered myself a racist. I thought huge strides have been made in the 1960s. I did not use derogatory words to describe minorities, though I did not protest when I heard them. I didn't feel that I should get my way just because I was male, middle class, and white. I was Midwestern polite to everyone I said please and thank you, held elevator doors open, demonstrated mostly the desired behavior found in Goofus and Gallant from the Children's Highlights magazine. I was in scouting and a churchgoer. My flippant response to Poncha's assertion was, I'm not a racist. I treat everyone equally poorly. The discussions and readings in session and in the Racial Justice Task Force have gotten me to look on my beliefs, on the things I have said and done, and on the things I have left unsaid and undone. To my sisters and brothers at Knox, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to do for the least of these, even those who have been made the least of these by overt and covert practices and unexamined attitudes. I believe we should do what we can for the least of these to engage in sympathetic and empathetic actions that lead to asserting all are worthy of the things we take for granted, equal treatment under the law, a safe and comfortable place to live, enough food on the table, a job that pays the bills, respect, love, sisterhood, brotherhood, and an education that grants access to the benefits that society has to offer. Everyone deserves an equal chance at a good and meaningful life. How do we do that? Let's not just talk about it. Let's form a plan of action and execute it. I believe it is important for churches like Knox to talk about racism because it is important for a church like ours, filled with educated, well-meaning people, to always be working to become better. Better as individuals, 
better as a congregation. I believe that the culture of our church and the messages it sends is very important and our church leadership and members reflecting on and learning about racism is essential in making Knox the welcoming and inclusive place that we all love and call home. I've been on sessions since 2017 and I'm concluding my term this spring. When I reflect on my time as an elder, I think about the projects with which I've been most involved. At the beginning of my term as an elder, we began a journey toward making session more relational. That is, we would spend time each meeting getting to know one another and working to understand each other to make our discussions at sessions, the good ones and the difficult ones, more meaningful and more effective due to the fact that we were in better relationship with each other. That's what we do on session. We look back on how we have done things in the past and we implement changes to become better going forward. Don't worry, we take care of all the necessary business of the church, but we also work to become better at taking care of ourselves, each other, and those outside the walls of our church. I believe that the work we have done to make our group more relational has impacted the culture of session in positive ways that will continue well into the future. Another thing I've been involved with in my time on session is being a part of the Racial Justice Task Force, which has been looking at the topic of racism and its place in our church, in our society, and in each of us as individuals. This work has been meaningful to me personally, and I am very proud of the path we are on as we take a deep dive into this topic with session and now with you, the greater congregation. As a person who is always seeking to improve and become more educated about myself and my role in this world, learning about things like implicit bias, white privilege, and systemic racism has challenged me to reflect on my views, feelings, and knowledge, or lack thereof, and has inspired me to continue to learn and grow. My hope for us as a congregation and a church is that as we deepen our knowledge and understanding of systemic racism, we too will be transformed and energized to take action to make Knox a leader in our community in the anti-racism movement. I don't see this as a process of something in which we will come out of it with some large front page worthy initiative that's going to turn racism upside down in our city. However, I do see it as an opportunity to learn and become more aware of racism in our society and make better decisions as individuals and as a congregation going forward in the world. I believe in education, I believe that information is power, and I believe that we can be and do better. Knox is known for a lot of wonderful things in our community, amazing worship and music, a place where groups in our community gather, our work in mission and outreach, our commitment to IHN, our commitment to become a dementia-inclusive church, and many other wonderful ministries. My dream and my wish following this process of education and new initiatives around the topic of racism is that Knox becomes known as an anti-racist church and that everyone is aware that it is an important part of our culture. I truly believe that there is always room for improvement and learning and being better in the future. Good morning. I do my best, like I bet many of you today do, 
to act and sound in gracious and supportive ways that do not intentionally yield to racist prejudgments. But I admit that I steer away from having conversations about racism and social injustice with people of color, instead choosing to read and learn about it from books and podcasts. Now you must know, this is very hard for me to admit to myself and to you. I left my small mountain town of childhood with a desire to meet and be around a more diverse community. Throughout my 20s, I dedicated much free time volunteering in order to help bring some comfort, hope, and a level of empowerment to others. In my early 30s, my husband and I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and began my teaching career at an African-American charter school. Subsequently, we lived in Luanda, Angola, and I wondered how a country can heal from centuries of ruthless slavery and additional strains of colonization. And since coming here to Cincinnati and to Knox Church, I have spent many joyful hours at Third Presbyterian Church, engaged in play, leadership, and fellowship. However, despite all these opportunities with interracial relationships and experiences, I have never once taken a chance to ask a student, coworker, friend, or fellow citizen to tell me how racism and social injustice has impacted their life. This inaction does not make the intentional relationships I seek and is likely indicated to my companions that for some reason, I do not think it is valuable to know more about their and their family's personal struggles with racism. This is not true about me though, so why the hesitation? My first year teaching in Memphis, I had the sweetest young man in my class. His name was Jalen. He was always polite, hardworking, and hungry. Because of the latter, I started to bring him breakfast each morning. It was appreciated and helped with focus during class. But my co-teacher one day said, Miss McGann, you are loving to provide, but will you ever be sympathetic in asking his grandmother why he and his brothers come to school hungry? He was basically saying, will you ever be braver in your extension of love to someone of a different race? I thought I was doing my part, but my not getting to know more, I was supportive without sharing the burden. I never did ask. I dreaded sounding trite. I feared my lack of knowledge about the historical subtext of racism. And I honestly did not want to have to accept how social injustice so greatly impacts the lives of people simply because they are not white, like me. Like I said, I have never asked. Fear, lack of understanding, and even the daily busyness of life have all been excuses. I am ashamed to admit this. Maybe you are too. We've been asked, as a white privileged community, how do we learn about racism? It can be as difficult to say and admit as it is to teach. So instead I ask, can we accept ourselves as white Christians if we avoid talk of racism because of excuses, because it may offend, and because avoidance allows us to stay unaffiliated from the long-standing patterns of superiority and discrimination that continue to be present in our politics, education, employment, court systems, and places of worship. Starting in the Old Testament, God expresses that his creation is designed to provide opportunities for a genuine community of diverse people. And the Bible teaches that two of the primary characteristics of God's love are service and compassion. Service that cannot be held to our own ambitions or fears, and compassion that is built by spending quality time talking with others no matter who they are. 
And Jesus is a perfect example of how we are to form a genuinely diverse and equitable community through honest conversation and storytelling. So I ask again, as a white Christian community, how do we learn about racism? I believe it is important for churches like Knox to be talking about racism, white privilege, and unintentional biases, because through having these conversations, it is then that we actually learn who we are and who the people are that we claim as our brothers and sisters. I believe we will also come to understand that we dilute someone's unique identity and experience if we pretend that they are not affected by ours or others' racism. And I believe we are finally talking about these things so we can be more sharing and loving in God's whole community. By saying this all out loud today, I'm acknowledging my desire role in this church is to be one who is brave in the face of racism by engaging in conversation. And hopefully by doing so, I can mobilize and guide others in this congregation. My prayer is that God leads Knox to becoming a community that takes time to learn about, identify with, and engage with those affected by systemic racism so that we are empathetic and humble friends with those we love, support, and grow with. I'm inspired by the people you've heard from today. These are members of your church's leadership. They were invited into deeply challenging conversations about racism and white privilege, and they said, sign me up. It has been hard. It will probably get harder. They are willing to go there. Talk to them, and talk to other members of your church's session who have been part of these conversations. Ask them questions. Encourage them in their work. I hope you noticed, as I did, that none of their testimonies were focused around guilt. Your session is not interested in a conversation about race that simply makes white people feel bad, because that doesn't solve anything. Your session wishes to engage with facts. They wish to honestly explore the history and current realities facing our country and our church, two places which have both been home to oppression segregation, and unequal opportunity. Many of us here at Knox wish to increase our church's community outreach. Nine months ago, your session correctly observed that most of our mission partnerships are with people and communities of color. Why does that disparity exist? How are we showing up in those mission partnerships as people of privilege? How can we do better? These are the kinds of questions your session is asking. And with God's help, they hope to figure out what we can do here at Knox to live together the way God intended. Jill began by mentioning our church's commitment to a Presbyterian movement called Matthew 25. It is a church-wide call to eradicate systemic poverty, to encourage congregational vitality, and to dismantle structural racism. Your session has concluded that these are three legs of the same stool. We cannot fight poverty, and we cannot keep our churches vital unless we are willing to talk about racism. I invite you to hear these words Dr. King once spoke. I have been to the mountaintop, and I have looked over, and I have seen the promised land. 
I may not get there with you, but I want you to know that we as a people, we will get to the promised land. These are a few of the very many biblical words Dr. King spoke as he called Christian people to join him in a march toward justice. Many Christians listened and heard and followed, at some at great personal cost, and many, many Christians did not. King's famous letter from Birmingham jail was sent to leaders of churches, the ones who made excuses to him not to join the struggle for racial justice, ministers who said that the time was not right or King was moving too fast. History has shown us the tragic error of those cowardly judgments. And while we remember with thanksgiving those who did hear King's call for justice, we know that the struggle is not over. We still live mostly in segregated neighborhoods, send our children to mostly segregated schools, and Sunday morning is still perhaps the most segregated time of the week. In the next few months, your session will follow this morning's introduction with additional opportunities for our congregation to join them in the work they have been doing. I pray that we will honor King's legacy by coming along. Amen.